Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Evolved Man. Today's guest is McKenna Rose Brown. Now, if you don't know McKenna or you haven't had a chance to get any information from her on her social media platforms, I would highly recommend that you follow her. McKenna has a very unique style to her posting. She talks a lot about mental health, the struggles that uh, women and men go through relative to mental health. She's very open, very magnanimous about sharing her life in a very authentic way, but she does it with quite a bit of humor as well. Her Instagram profile is McKenna, that's M-C-K-E-N-N-A, Rose Brown. And you can also go to her website and check out the amazing resources that she has there. McKenna is a wife, a mother of four, public speaker, a mental health educator, and just an all-around fascinating person to talk to. I really enjoyed my conversation with McKenna today. We had a very open and natural flow to the conversation. In today's episode, you can expect for us to talk about pain and suffering and how life tends to be much better when we lean into the pain and we move towards the suffering so that we can find a sense of understanding. We also discuss how breaking through breaking down, and having a break of heart can bring light, perspective, and a greater evolution in oneself. McKenna's story is one of accountability and one of taking responsibility for her mental health. As someone who has struggled with mental health challenges in the past, she discusses some of the things that she does to stay healthy, both physically and mentally. And we dive deep into a conversation around spirituality, belief in God, and how to reconcile that with a culture and a religion that you may not agree with every aspect of. I'm excited for this particular episode because McKenna and I have been talking for the better part of a year or two of having her on this episode. I've been a big fan of her work, and we also have several mutual connections, and so we were very fortunate to have the time together today. So don't forget, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple, to please give us a rating and review. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends. It really helps the podcast to grow and helps us to get more reach and help more people become evolved human beings. And with that, now on to the episode. Welcome to The Evolved Man, where we are at war with the mediocrity of modern man. The Evolved Man is for men like you who are willing to be strong, open, and aggressive learners. Men who are not afraid to disrupt and change. It's time we ditch the current conventional idea that we devolve with age, that the dad bod is our destiny, and that the glory days are behind us. Your best isn't behind you, and I'm here to provide you with practical tools, a few tips and tricks, and everyday wisdom to help you evolve into your highest form. Strong, lean, smart, educated, and emotionally intelligent. Now, let's go to war. Well, McKenna, they say the good things come to those who wait. (laughs) 
And uh, well, if that's the case with us, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's been a while since we've talked about having you on the show. And so I'm really excited. About this morning. How long has it actually been since you first contacted me? I don't know. We I, actually made this happen. Well, and we were talking earlier before the recording right. about how we got connected and we have, you know, some mutual uh, connections. Yes. I don't remember how we originally got connected. I know I you, you've, you've been on uh, my friend Todd's podcast a couple of times. Um, we have a mutual connection with your sister-in-law. Yes. And so I don't really I don't remember, know. but it's just our friendship's meant to be. It is. It's just meant to happen. It just, you know, took a little bit of time. Yeah. It took some time, but here we are. <laughs> um, you said something before we started recording, and I, and I hope it's okay that I asked this. Uh, I, I thought it was a really uh, unique experience that you had on your way here. Yes. And uh, I'd love for our, our listeners to hear you talk about that, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So on my way up to this to your house, it's about a 40-minute drive for me. And, you know, I was just blasting some T-Swift. Nice. Just a normal yeah. day in the car yeah. with love me. <laughs> and Me, me too. <laughs> Um, and I just had this overwhelming feeling, um, my sister-in-law, Sherry, that's passed, um, she passed last April. I just felt overwhelmed that she was with me mm. and I got a little emotional and I called my husband and I just said, you know, I'm feeling a little somber right now about a couple different things. And I really feel Sherry's love mm. and it, and it was comforting and, and I didn't, you know, really think much of it after I hung up the phone with my husband until we sat down and started talking. And how you said, I know Sherry. And then you started talking about Sherry. And then I was overwhelmed with the comfort I felt in the car. And I, I got a little emotional. And it just, it's in those moments where I feel, you know, connected to something bigger than myself that I know that I'm in the right place at the right time doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just felt grateful for that moment today. You know, I I heard um, a long time ago, the, this concept of coincidence, right? We think yeah. that coincidence is some sort of random happenstance type of thing. And it's really not. I don't believe in it. Things coincide with each other mm -hmm. because there is a magnet, because there's an energy, there's a force that's yep. pulling those things together. Absolutely. And so I believe that things that are serendipitous genuinely happen because timing is right, because energy matches. Yes. And so when you said that, as we were talking and I could feel the energy and the power of that. I thought, what a really cool moment. And I wanted our listeners to hear that because I think far too often people will have these moments where it might be a small thing, right? but they sit in it and they say, wow, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling some deja vu or I'm feeling whatever it is. And then we pass by that without taking a moment to pause and to recognize it for And to honor it, it. Right. How do you honor those moments? I think honoring it is acknowledging that we don't know why, mm. but we know that there's a purpose. And to honor that, I say thank you for this moment of, you know, this, I don't want to say certain, what was the word? Um, deja vu. Yeah. Mean. Yeah. I was working um, at Costco when I was a young older teenager, younger adult. And I was really in a, a tough place in life. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to be doing? And there were a lot of shifts happening. And I was with a 
a member and I said, oh my gosh, whoa, I just hit deja vu. And he looked at me and he goes, do you know what that means? And I said, no, I actually, I, I've never really given it much thought. And he said, you're in the right place at the right time when you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And it made me emotional and I had to pause. And I said, I, you really have no idea how much that means to me. And I don't rem even remember his face. I just remember how he made me feel, how I felt in that moment and confirmation of prayer that I had just been answers I had been seeking. And I think that so often we need specifics. And I think that that's what limits us, where we have to be okay that we don't need to know 10 roads ahead. Just in that moment, I was exactly where I needed to be doing exactly what I needed to be doing. And I didn't need to know much more than that. And I think deja vu reminds us that we just need a little bit of faith and hope. Wisdom be dropped at Costco. At Costco. And that's where I met my husband. So you can find everything. Oh, there you go. And a husband. And a husband at Costco. <laughs> you remember the aisle? No, I was. It's funny. I'm a little checker girl. His mom worked the flowers and she came through my line and said, gosh, I just love how you are with the elderly and the disabled. Verbatim what she said. Wow. I okay. said, how old your son? And does he have any special needs? You know, and I was open, you know, and, and she said, laughed. No, no, no. I just love how you treat others. And I, and I love your energy. I want you to meet my son. And the rest is history. I've got to be honest. I think that's one of the best pickup lines I've ever heard. I like how you treat the elderly and disabled. Would you like to marry my son? <laughs> it was very sweet. I knew what she meant. And it was just right. like, she's just, yeah. That is amazing. Isn't that funny? So it's like this ongoing joke amazing. forever to this day. Great. I got, um, so I had a young lady that worked for me when uh, we lived in Cincinnati. And because I have curly hair and I, the family thought I was pretty good in business, that I got uh, officially, unofficially adopted into their Jewish family. I love it. She came to me one day and said, Steve, you've got the Jufro, you like the business, Jufro. and we have all agreed that you are now part of our family. Jufro, best yeah. pickup line. That tops mine. It was great. It that was great. That tops mine. She said, you're you're now part of the family. And so as I got to know her family more, uh, it, was, it was hilarious because Jewish moms are very much like what you just described, where they're always trying to wheel and deal to get the kids <laughs> to do other things. And so this young lady that worked for me um, would lament every once in a while. She's like, my mom's always trying to set me up with these people yeah, and she's yeah. out picking up on guys for me. And... <laughs> it sounds like something I'll do in my future. But yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there you go. Great. Mothers really do know best. So <laughs> they do. And so you had this uh, that's that that goes down in history as one of the best pickup lines. Uh, something that you said made me think about this. You know, in it, it's estimated that if from 1972 uh, to 2070, that if this trend continues, we will continue to see about a 42% drop in people who identify with a specific religious affiliation. Uh, in fact, as we have expanded the amount of information on the internet and social media, more and more people choose not to be affiliated with religion and they're questionable on God. Um, you've been vocal about having a belief in God. And uh, in fact, at one point you referenced that God started, told you to slow down. Um, can you talk about your belief in God and how it affects how you show up in life? Absolutely. I, it's my anchor and 
all that I do. And I've just had so many sacred experiences with a higher power, um, that being my heavenly father and my Jesus Christ as two different entities. Um, and I feel them with me closely and I rely on their guidance and they've never let me down. Mm. And they tell me what I need to hear, whether I want to or not. And the more I listen to it and the more I act on it, actually, um, I tell people I am an executor. And when God or Jesus tell me to do something, I do it. And it's led me to where I am today and doing what I'm doing and the life I'm living. And I couldn't be more blessed. And I do owe it all to my Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. How do you uh, calm the mind in a busy world to tap into and listen to those messages? I think that it's an, an evolving relationship you choose to have um, on a very, very, very minor scale of not having billions of children like my Heavenly Father. I have four. Mm-hmm. And each individual relationship with my children is different. And I have different um, conversations and they have different needs. And it's my goal to develop that relationship with them individually as their mother. And I and I do, I want to also mention, I, I do have a relationship with my Heavenly Mother as well. And I do mm-hmm. openly talk about her and pray to her often. And I think that people are struggling with religion because they feel that they have to fit in a peg hole Mm-hmm. to have that relationship. Um, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I do things differently. And I, based off of my own relationship with Christ, and I feel comforted in that. And I feel that people think of religion. Okay, I'm here. I'm going off on a little tangent, but this is my core Tan- belief. Tangent away. So when I, I had to question everything, I came in like a wrecking ball, good old Miley Cyrus breaking down that wall. And I had to start from the beginning. Jesus, are you my Christ? God, are you real? Are you there? Is that what you are? Is that anything? Like, what is it? Um, Once I established that, you know, I established Jesus, are you my Christ? Mm. And there is a scripture, ask, um, you know, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, you know, whatever. I can't, I don't remember. Ask and you shall receive. Thank you. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find. Yes. And there couldn't be more truth to that. And so often people think, so I'll come back to the religion, religious aspect in just a minute. But people think, why do I have to ask? Why do I have to seek? Why do I have to put the effort into knock? Shouldn't he just be there? Shouldn't he just love me? And what I found through knocking and asking and seeking was that they showed up. And they're like, and I had seen and I was able to, they were able to show me in hindsight how they were always with me mm. through everything. But it's tough love. If we were to hand our kids everything, what would that teach them? They have to learn through experience. And asking re- removes humility. It lowers your ego and it opens up connection. So I can't make my kids bed every morning. I can't do things for them because what does that teach them? I have to teach them to act. I have to teach them to behave a certain way. And if they need help, may I please? Can you please? Right. And then, you know, we work on thank yous and whatever. But that's how I've built a relationship with my kids is teaching them how to openly ask for help. And that's part of my platform is seeking help as a source of strength. And my connection with Christ and Heavenly Father is evolved into this relationship where I'm, I'm feeling over the last five years, maybe to be more specific, 
we have such an open relationship that it's just constant dialogue all day. Mm. But that takes effort, that takes consistency, and that takes time of you developing that relationship. That's how you develop friendships. That's how you have to think of them as these entities. And even with my heavenly mother, I this relationship with her. So people in religion, I believe, especially in the prominent dominant religion that I belong to here in Utah, is they put Christ, Heavenly Father, and religion, spirituality, all in this one pot. And they're like, it's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a cognitive distortion. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're getting shook a little bit as a society as far as religion and is God real? Um, because we've lacked helping individuals develop relationships with our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. So I have different pots, pillars, if you will, that is spirituality, gospel, you know, that's scripture, mm -hmm. and then that's religion. And I'm not a very religious person. I do respect that people do need that religious structure to keep that relationship. And we need to honor that. Just because religion doesn't work for X amount of people, there are individuals in this world that need that structure and really do have that connection with Christ through religion. Right. And I honor that and respect that with all that I am. Because I don't, I don't, I do appreciate the structure of it all. However, I connect more on this on a spiritual level and an individual relationship level. And a lot of the things that I struggle with as a society, I just dismiss as man hmm. culture. You know, that, where did that come from? A man. Okay. I'm putting that in the religious bucket and I'm dismissing it because there's so much in my culture that I hold strong to and believe in that culturally people, it does take a lot of work and I don't. And this might be a very unpopular opinion, and I'm okay with a little pushback, um, because I don't want to disregard that leaving a religion can, is is hard. I've watched people do it; relationships break. It's it's a hard thing. For me personally, it's been harder to stay, but it's been worth it. Interesting. Yeah. So I have this spiritual aspect, and because I've decided how do I fit within religion instead of how do I fit into the religion. I have my own personal belief that I I feel more comfortable and confident with my own relationship with my Christ, Heavenly Father and Mother, that um, I can dismiss the cultural religious things that man has created. And it doesn't affect me. Yeah. And I think I, I would agree with you. I think that the uh, difficulty of being in the culture, whether you stay with a religion or whether you choose to move on from it, the difficulty of being in it, but yet maybe being a little bit divergent on that it's not all the same. It's not all the same bucket. There oh. is a spirituality, there is a connection to God that is different from the religious faith. I do think a lot of people are circling back because they are realizing that they can have their own individuality within the religion. Yeah. And it's kind of like the pendulum swing where you were all here on the left, you swung to the right, mm -hmm. and then you realize, oh, I can live this life coexisting with different beliefs, but still having a foundational belief in a specific dominant religion. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, so I'm different than you in one way. And that is that, uh, my wife and I at one point decided to walk away from the religion yeah. and it was a, it was a very difficult choice. It was one of the toughest, if not the toughest choice that I had ever made. And at the time, uh, I felt like it was the right thing for me. Now, many big people, thought that we were horrible, that we were wrong, that we were doing the wrong thing. Um, they were confused. They were angry. You name it. But 
I still stand to this day that it was the right thing for me. And yet at the same time, I respect and value people who stay, whether they stay and continue to go all in on the culture or whether they choose to, like you, understand that there is a difference between the culture and the religious practice and the spirituality. Absolutely. Um, I think respecting people is how we can have a good relationship with Christ. Because as you were talking, knowing that someone chooses to leave, we don't need to be critical, mm-hmm. patronizing, right? because that's what's right for you. Knowing that you have a different relationship with whatever your higher power is, not assuming it's one thing, um, is I think as a society, we need to be more respectful. And as we respect each other, that brings you closer to Christ. That's, for me, I believe, you know, Christ didn't come to the people who thought they were so superior in a religion or, you know, so, you know, societal people who are viewed you know, higher in a society, he sat with those that, you know, and I think that if we took a step back and go, how, what would Christ do? He would say, I love you and I'm with you through wherever you go. I, I just think that what I'm trying to say is, like I said, I don't know what your belief is, but if the people that do believe in Christ thought like that, it would actually bring them closer to a more, we just had a common respect for whatever people believe. So often worse, they leave or do certain things, and then they just have to be mean to the people who chose differently. Yeah. It's like, guess what? We're all human, and we all have a different relationship. Yeah. What if we just all respected each other as children of God, or, you know, children of light, whatever that may be for individuals, and just let people live their life? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it makes for a, uh, a much easier world without all the labels and the criticism. I, I've had several uh, people call me or come up to me years later, and... Uh, apologize for things that they said or apologize for things that they did uh, during that transition time. And I'm grateful for it. And I always remind them that that's, it's not necessary while I'm grateful for it, but it's, it's also not necessary Uh, because I, I understand where that challenge comes from. I can empathize what it's like to be within a religion and yet not quite feel like you fit totally. I can empathize what it's like to be in it and feel like you fit totally uh, because I grew up in a religious family, very religious family. Right. I can also empathize what it's like to not be there. And it makes me think back to a conversation, you know, my one of my sisters, when we had decided to move uh, in a different direction, she had called me up and we were having a conversation and she said, hey, so what do you believe? What is like, and and it was um, one of these almost like fearful type conversations, right? I, I what's happening your life's going to fall apart type of thing like it wasn't, wasn't just like i genuinely want to know what you believe it was just kind right, of like so right. tell me what it is then yeah and i said you know i don't i don't want to get too much into a back and forth of do you believe this do you not believe that i said let's just do this because i don't have my sikh friends i don't have my jewish friends i don't have my catholic friends my lutheran friends or my muslim friends calling me up and saying why don't you believe this about my religion right and I said, I wouldn't get into that type of discussion with any of my friends of different faiths, and I'm not going to get into that discussion. And I still maintain that to this day with anyone that will come up to me and say, but why don't you do this anymore? And so, um, but what I did say is I said, hey, how about we make a deal, okay? Just let's let's kind of draw a line in the sand, right? Let's snap the chalk line, and whatever asshole I am today if I'm a bigger asshole five years from now, <laughs> if I'm a bigger jerk, call me out on it. But if I become 
the same level or I become a better person, then let's have that conversation. And I'm not trying to convince you to do something else. I'm not telling you that what you're doing is wrong. I'm just saying that I have got to the point where my relationship to God is such that I didn't feel like I wanted any entity in between me and God. And that was it. And that was the primary decision. And again, very, very difficult. And at the same time, I also value and respect people of all faiths who choose to either be in or be out. People talk about it oftentimes as a faith crisis. I call it a faith adventure. Yeah, I think it's a better way to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you said earlier a lot of the questions that people ask themselves. You know, who is God? Are you there? Do you exist? Who is Jesus? Are you my, my Christ, my Savior? Those questions, far too often from my perspective, get viewed as a crisis moment. Yeah, they are viewed that way. Right. It wasn't that for me. I wanted to create a stronger connection. That was my desire. How did you see it different? Because I I get that sense that you did, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't see it as a crisis. No. How did you view those questions? How did you view that moment? Gosh, that's a good question. I call it deconstructing to reconstruct. I just wanted to reevaluate where I was at spiritually. I felt like I had lost a connection and I didn't feel that passion. Mm-hmm. And I and I wanted to develop it into whatever it was meant to be. And that's being curious and seeking understanding in all religions. It takes a lot of courage to to do what you just said though, to say whatever it will be. Whatever it will right? be. And I was very scared. I was very scared because my husband, that is an anchor for him, is the culture yeah. um, and the religion. I shouldn't say culture, the, the religious aspect of things. And I was nervous of where it was going to take me, but I, I knew it's what I needed to do individually. And I just, I had a dream and I was sitting there and Heavenly, um, Jesus came up to me and I said, oh my gosh, Jesus, I have so many questions. Can you tell me? And I just went off and he just sat there with this really calm look on his face. And all he said to me was, I trust you. Mm. And it was so powerful. I woke up and I just was sobbing. And my husband's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, I am amazing. This is just what just happened to me. And he felt that emotion in the spirit in that room. And he says, if Jesus trusts you, I trust you. And that was such a pivotal moment in our marriage Very cool. Very cool. that I'm, I always say, seek to understand I have a friend who goes, Sherry Kate went to a non-denominational church. Mm-hmm. That was where her funeral was at. And the music was beautiful. And a lot of the Christian rock songs I knew. Um, and my friend goes to a non-denominational church in Orem. And I just, whenever I'm with her, I ask like, well, we study the King James Bible. What Bible do you study? And I actually went online on, and our, in that moment and I bought it. And I, and I also study her Bible. And it's a more, cool. and I think what's so cool is the more we seek to understand each other, the more um, depth we bring into our lives. Yeah. So the Bible that she studies, which I thought was so great, is everywhere Christ speaks is in red. And oh, it's more modern. Okay. So I, yeah. you know, last year we were studying the New Testament as a religion. And I had my kids reference the NIV Bible mm. because it was more, it, it was understand, you could understand it easier. Yeah, it's in the language things. that we speak, yes. not the old English language. And people right. were very hesitant because and people would say, well, and I go, if you really compare it, it is verbatim, not verbatim, but it is like literally the same. 
but it just says more modern words. Yeah. And it actually, I love linguistics and it gave me such a different perspective to different scriptures. And I actually thought it brought wonderful value to my life. Um, however, what I'm saying is I think as a, as a society asking questions genuinely, not, well, what do you believe in a very degrading, disrespectful tone is right. tell me more about what you believe. And what I've found is, I mean, I've been to a, a sermon where the Pope gave a sermon at the Vatican and it was beautiful. Mm. Right. And so many people there were so connected to him and it was so great to kind of look around and see them reciting scripture with him. And I thought, well, we still, we recite scripture every Sunday mm -hmm. when we take the sacrament, you know, like all these things. And I go, there's, I love finding similarities in what we do. And, and people don't understand this and that's okay. But I believe that we're, God made us all so different. Why would he want us all to be the same? Right. There's so many different cultures. There's so many different religions. There's so many different ways to get to him. He doesn't care. He just wants you to get to him. That, that is the unpopular opinion. <laughs> it is, and, and, and people religions, right? And I and I agree with you. I don't know that there's. I I can't imagine that at the end of life, when we walk up and we meet God face to face, that He's going to be like, "Sorry, McKenna, <laughs> you guessed wrong. Yeah. Steve was right. Yeah, go to the left, <laughs> right." No, and I can't I, imagine that. Well, and like in our, in our, like I got a tattoo this last year. I drink coffee. I, we can get into all the different things I do, but I still have this like desire and passion and love for it. And I'm grateful that I'm grateful for that for me individually. So we went on Wednesday, I went with my daughter to young women's and they recited the young women's theme. And there's just a part of it that I struggle with. Mm. And I just think that in the, the theme, and I turned to my friend, I go, does that word bother you? You know? And it said, so that I can qualify. And I oh, went, interesting. Okay. what? No, 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 no. We do not qualify. We are already worthy. We are already loved. Right. We are, I believe that when we go on the other side, it's a constant progression of wherever you stopped is where you're going to start. Mm -hmm. And I had a dream. I keep talking about these dreams that just through this journey, this connection that I've had is. It's good to know that you get a lot of sleep. That's Christian. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> And this is all within. I mean, this isn't every night, right? Yeah. Um, that some people were crawling, some people were walking, some people were running, some people were flying. Mm. And I think that none of them were better than the other. And the people who were walking were helping the people who were crawling. And people who were flying were helping the people. You know, like it was this constant unconditional love for wherever anybody was at. And I feel like if we can incorporate that on earth, where wherever anybody is at on their journey in life, where we just help each other and we love each other unconditionally, and we're all at different phases but that doesn't make you better than anybody else, right? right? That the person that's on the street that's lost everything that's homeless on, you know, that could may or may not be on drugs, you are not better than that person. It's our duty to help him or yeah. her. And I think that that's where we, I could go and I could talk about this for hours because it's been a solid five years of very intentional spiritual work. It's pretty fascinating when we pause to learn from other people and to learn about other people and their beliefs. I've spent the better part of two decades studying comparative religion and studying, I've read, uh, I've read the Quran. I've read the, wow. Bible, I've read Amazing. the uh, book of Mormon, all of the uh, LDS scriptures, obviously uh, growing up. Um, I have read the Tao. I've read uh, the Tao. I've read, you know, just about anything I could get my hands what on. What was your biggest takeaway from doing all that? Consistency. 
Okay. Number one, consistency in similar core beliefs. There is not a religion out there that tells you to be a complete jerk to another person. And so kindness, love, respect, they all take different seats in terms of hierarchy of value in the different religions. Um, the other consistency that, that you see is this idea that somehow that particular religion has it right and the others are wrong. And to me, it's, I, I, I tend to be fairly sarcastic in nature. And I look at that, I'm like, uh, but you're way. just saying the same thing that he said. You just said it with a different way. Absolutely. Right? And so as I, as I read through multiple texts, and I also read authors who have written about uh, religion, and it's just fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, even you look at Norse mythology, the Greek gods, yeah. the stories that are told from these, mm -hmm. uh, you know, past traditions that we look at as mythological now. Well, people believed back then that they were oh, true, true God, right? That was, imagine today, fast forward a thousand years, and somebody says, oh, well, let's tell the mythology of Christianity. Yeah. Right? And it, if it fell into myth, like some of these other um, uh, previous gods and religions did, what would, what would people say about it? And that's been an interesting thing for me to step back and look at and say, but what is the consistency? Where are the common themes? Yeah. Uh, everything from love, kindness, respect, uh, the concept Beautiful. of life, eating life, the, yeah. the, the concept of uh, the, the wellspring of life, the tree yeah. of life. Um, there are so many things that just permeate all religion. And I, I would love to say that I am a quote truth seeker. I don't, I kind of threw that idea away a long time ago. I look for what's there and I just am an observational individual is the way I would love define it. myself. Now I love reading and I love observing and I love seeing what works and what doesn't mm -hmm. for people. And it's really fascinating. And I just think that if everybody could sit in a room and we could just be like every joke that's out there that a priest, a rabbi, and a, you know, whatever, walk into a bar <laughs> and we could actually live like that, yeah. life would be much easier. It would be much more simple. We would not fight and argue. We I wouldn't even have this my binary, right? Department, because I'm in college right now, and I asked them if I could come back and get another minor because they don't have a religious major at UVU, they just have a minor. But for me to, I go, cause I'd love to come back. I already am double minoring and they won't let me take on another minor. Cause I oh, would triple minors. love to do a minor in religious studies. Yeah. I took an ethics and values class as like one of my last general. And the professor was over the minor for religious studies. And oh, I thought, fascinating. I want to take more of your philosophy classes. This was unreal. Just the, I crave perspective shifts. I think that that's how we I don't know. I don't even know how to articulate it, but the moments I went, oh my gosh, I love that perspective. I think is if we craved question to understand more, seek, it's a seventh step, one of the seven steps, Stephen Covey's, right. seek to understand, ask questions. It is, if we, we were taught to not ask questions growing up, you know, just follow blindly. And I, I don't operate that way at all. And Nor if do we I. really go back to the beginning, it was based off of a question. Mm -hmm. And so, we, my husband, when I was going through this, what he would, maybe someone would call crisis. It was my adventure and right. I loved it. It was hard and it was, and maybe you can relate to this, um, doing things differently 
um, can be the unknown is scary. You're, you know, it's, it's hard. It is hard for, and to ask those questions because you don't know what, where, where it's going to take you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he said, well, you're, there's these, for those of you that aren't part of the real, the religion, the LDS culture, there's these stories that are called living scriptures. Do you remember those oh, growing I, up? Yeah, absolutely. My favorite living scripture one is the tree of life where they have to hold to the rod oh, and yeah. it's this analogy, right. but hold to the rod. And I'm just like, I'm just not a rod holder. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let go for a minute. Yeah. I just have never really held on to it. I've just kind of yeah. been like, oh, that's cool. Like, what's over? Oh, that's a beautiful flower. Oh, you know. And so my husband goes, I'm just so confused. That's your favorite living scriptures. And I said, it is my favorite one. And where do I cry? It was pretty entertaining. And he's like, what part? I go, what part do I cry? What part touches me? And he said, when that little boy is in the river and he has, he was sad that he was lost and he was confused. He didn't, wasn't anchored in Christ. And he was hanging onto the cliff and he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the mistakes I've made. And that's beautiful alone in itself, right? To acknowledge our imperfections and strive to be better, which I think is beautiful. And Easter is my favorite holiday. I love the atonement of Christ. We won't get into that. But this random guy, no one ever talks about this random guy in the Living Scriptures video, reaches down and pulls him up. Then he's yeah. gone. And I said, I kind of identify as that person that he wasn't holding onto the rod, but he helped save the kid. Not that I'm out to save people, but to help and to get kind of explore yeah. um, and expand. So, and he's just like, huh, I never even thought of that video that way because we're so hung up on that rod. Yeah. And I'm just like, I just love to explore and I'm a free spirit. I'm a hippie at heart and I love wildflowers. So I'm just a wildflower child. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and my mom both. I, we always... <laughs> I always joke that when she passes, yeah. we're going to sing Tom Petty's Wildflower. Yes, that's my song. Yeah. When I hike Temp every year, I'm like dancing in the wildflowers. It takes us forever to get down because I'm literally dancing in the wildflowers. Uh, my husband's like, oh my gosh. So speaking of dancing in the wildflowers, there's been a couple of experiences that I've had in nature that I think relate uh, to this uh, exploration process yeah. that we're talking about. Um, years ago, I read a book called no, no Shortcuts to the Top by a gentleman by the name of Ed Veasters. And many people don't know Ed, but Ed is known for being the very first American to climb uh, the highest peaks in the world without supplemental oxygen. And so, you know, K2, uh, Mount Everest, all of the, the top peaks in the world, he did it without supplemental oxygen. And he... Uh, physical prowess is, you know, uh, just good good guy overall amazing person. When he accomplished all that, somebody said, well, Ed, what do you want to do next? And he goes, well, I don't know. I've, I've heard maybe deep sea diving is something that's interesting where you kind of you hold your breath and then you go super deep into the water and mm -hmm. see how far down you can go. Uh, that was becoming a thing at that time when he had wrapped up his goal of hitting all of the summits. So that clicked something inside of me. And I thought, the, the feeling of just floating. And so the next time we went to the lake, the next time we went to the ocean, uh, I would just float and just experience that sensation of floating. There was something that was drawing me to that. Around about birthday? that time. You told me May. May, yeah. What's your sign? Well, so here's, all right, you're going to take Sorry. me on a, on a slight tangent. Well, I'm just putting yeah. a pin really quick because I want to know if you're a water sign. Are you a water sign? Well, so I am, my birthday's on May 21st. Okay. And so if you you're look the at cusp. the calendar, 
on some calendars, I'm a Gemini, some I'm a Taurus. Okay. Now, Gemini is the two-head, right? Okay. And so I always joke that I'm a two-headed bull. Oh. Which my wife, my kids would probably say, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how yeah. dad is. Um, and so that that was fascinating to me to, yeah. to go experience that feeling. But around that same time, I was also drawn to the idea of flight. Um, there was a gentleman that I had met who was the... Uh, American, Mexican, and I can't, Argentinian. I can't remember how many different places that he'd won national championships in paragliding. We got to talking and I started taking paragliding lessons. Wow. And I remember the first time that I took flight and this amazing feeling of, you know, the glider inflates and goes up and you're basically just looking up and you have this parachute type thing above you and you're running towards the end of the cliff and then you just keep running and you float. <laughs> and just... you know how, like, uh, you'll, you'll like this cause you have a lot of dreams, right? Yeah. You know how you fly in dreams yeah. and how that feels. That's what paragliding feels like. Wow. You just feel like you're floating and hovering. Well, the floating in the air and then the floating in the water made me feel like that this was a perfect analogy to what a, an exploration of faith can do to you. You feel completely free. You feel like you're floating. You feel like that your senses are both turned on and open at the same time. And yet you realize that you are surrounded by water, which could go into your lungs and kill you, or you are surrounded by air, which if you shoot deflates, you drop and you die. And so you have this perfect pinnacle that you're sitting on emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And cognitively, you know, in your mind that you, you think you're going to be okay. Right. And I say no and think very consciously because you know, it in your mind is what you tell yourself. You think you're going to be okay. As you're going through this process of exploring the sensations and the feelings of asking the questions and just being present to what comes back, I believe that that's what many people go through. And I think that if the fear is the thing that they focus on, then we cleanse, we tighten, we take a breath underwater and we suck in the water and we start to cough it up and we say, well, I'm never going to go under the water like that again. If something bad happens when we're flying, we say, well, I'm never going to go flying again. It can be freeing and scary all at the same time. Yeah, it's self-liberating. It is in the long run. How did you get through some of the fear of the exploration? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, When you were talking about your getting in the water and floating, Mm -hmm. so we spend a couple months out of the year in Hawaii. Very, very lucky, um, and I'm grateful for that. But at the beginning of our adventures in Hawaii, I had a friend say, we're going to go snorkel. And I'm going to compare this to religion here in a minute, or my spiritual adventure. Um, And she's like, we're just going to snorkel the shore break. And I was so nervous of getting in the water. Because I was just, I just, I'd like, being on the beach, it was beautiful to hear the sounds, but I never was one that got in the water. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's go. And um, every day I challenged myself to do some one thing that made me feel uncomfortable while we were in Hawaii. And by the end of our two months that year, I saw we were in a bay called Waimea Bay. Oh, beautiful. And 
dolphins swam into the bay. Wow. And I didn't even think twice in that moment because every day I had been in the water and I had been pushing myself, jumping off cliffs. You know, I had swam with sharks multiple times. I was swimming in open ocean. I was doing things that I never thought I could physically do. And I just naturally grabbed my GoPro, got my snorkel gear, my flippers, and I swam out, you know, probably 150 yards to swim with these dolphins. Isn't it amazing how, like, when the moment hits, mm -hmm. we forget about the fear and we yeah. just think about, wow. Yeah. I'm going. I have it on video this moment. And after this, I can send it to you. Yeah, but, you have to send it. Um, I'm swimming. And I never swim too close to the dolphins because now at this point, I've done it multiple times. They actually come to you. Um, and they get curious. And, and I was just floating out there. Um, and this baby broke off from the pod. My wife hears this part of the podcast. She is going to die because she loves the idea of swimming with yes, the dolphins. You got to come with us. She wants to hold koala bear. Like she just animals, <laughs> anything. I'll be best friend. Oh, you, you will for sure. So this yeah. little baby dolphin swims off and is just swimming around me. And I got emotional in my snorkel gear. And I had this aha moment of if I didn't push myself to do something uncomfortable every day, if I didn't ask questions, if I didn't seek my own personal truth, I would have missed out on this beautiful moment with this baby dolphin. Wow. And I had this amazing moment where I looked up and I thought, wow, I'm like probably 150 yards from shore, which you can also see in the video. And I would have never had this beautiful moment in nature that some people would do anything to experience. And I just was so lucky. I, I would have missed that. And I think so often we put ourselves in a box, we close the door and the lid because we're safe. Yeah. And yeah. I think that through my experience with pushing myself in the ocean, challenging myself in the wilderness, I, I don't know, my husband's going to laugh at that. Because um, I've never fairly slept gonna, in a tent. She, Actually, I have say you haven't here. pushed yourself in the wilderness. <laughs> to me, I have pushed myself. But I, am push, <laughs> I will continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But like hiking Timpanogos, I, my first hike I had with him was on our honeymoon. Anyways, I just had never been an adventurous person and I really tapped into that. There are so many beautiful moments spiritually on earth that there's, how do I articulate this? You know, you have those moments where you're like, I don't know how to, it's one of those moments you feel, you know, you're to be true. And I hope I can articulate this next phrase well, that there's so much beauty on this earth. You know, I've suffered with suicide ideation. I've suffered with feeling this world was better off without me. I've been in that place of doing my family a favor because if I wasn't here anymore to now getting to a place of, you know, in that, in that moment where I thought, you know, I was, the world was better off without me. I asked the question, why did I choose to come here? I do believe I chose this, but men are that they might have joy, but I'm not feeling joyous. This is not joyful, but why did I make that conscious choice to make the jump? to earth right senses touch smell hear yeah. all these sight yeah. things that i believe we don't ex get to experience in the afterlife there's things we get to experience there that we don't get to experience here but i believe we're going to look back and wish we could experience and touch the grass or lay in the sand and swim in the ocean that we may or may not get to experience afterlife i don't know but there's so much beauty in our lives all around us that i refuse to get in that box close the lid and be safe I love that. And I, I think that there's, there's several things that could be unpacked from that, that we can take into day-to-day -day life. Now, when I work with a lot of my executive clients, one of the biggest things that I try to teach them is how to pause and just observe things in life that are uh, simple and beautiful. 
I believe that we are um, just frankly pornographic in the way that we eat food nowadays. We just go out and it's like, yep, give me quick satisfaction and then move on. Quick satisfaction, move on. Yep. McDonald's, okay. And it's so fast that in America in particular, we are not pausing to experience the all of the beautiful senses. Um, you know, the other night somebody walked into the house and said, oh my gosh, this smells so great. Rewind a couple of weeks um, prior and we're with family at uh, a, a cabin mountain house and someone in the family asked my wife and I, wait, do you guys eat like this all the time? <laughs> and Danielle says, yeah, we do. Wow. I could never do that. Well, why not? It's not that difficult to make beautiful smelling food. Yes, we've had to learn one recipe at a time. Absolutely. Yes, we've had to experience one thing at a time. Yes, we've screwed up a lot of food along the way. Right. And early on, we had to get a lot of uh, takeout because whatever we made didn't work out so great. But experiencing the nuance of the day-to-day Paying attention to the way, like right now, the way that the light comes into this room, it's beautiful, right? The When you're outside on a day like today, after the storm, the air is crisp. Mm-hmm. Feeling the rosemary in my hand as I throw it into the pot, as I'm hearing the sizzling of the steak, it's such a beautiful moment. And we have so many of these opportunities for beautiful moments, right. but yet we we drug ourselves. We move away from those moments before we've actually immersed ourselves into them. Have you seen the movie Soul? No, I actually the haven't. Disney movie Soul, it's my it's, show. So I don't really go in for a lot of the Disney movies. Uh, once the kids got to a certain age, I, I was like, okay, I don't have to watch them anymore. But that is one that I've actually been interested in. You should watch it. There's a part where they call them lost souls. They're not dead, but they're still alive, but they're lost. Okay. And they kind of just, and they're lost in the soul. And there's this cute hippie man that like helps awaken the soul. Oh, interesting. And it kind of, anyways, I challenge anyone to go see it because it's just this beautiful moment where they wake someone up. Like you get woken up. And I truly feel that moment where you wake up in that pivotal moment of like, why, why did I choose to come to earth? Or why, you know, and you truly have this pivot of like, wow, life is so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the rosemary in your hands when you said that, I was like, yes. And I remember going on a walk outside and my hands, I could just feel the air on my hands. And I thought, yeah, yeah. Feel the cold, crisp air. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, after Sherry died, um, I, it was a, she died on a, I can't remember. It was a Thursday or a Friday. I think it was, yeah, it was right. The, my finals week and it was Sunday and I challenged myself to go to church. I don't know why I shouldn't have gone. I just could not <laughs> stop crying. Everyone was asking me questions and I was like, why in the hell am I here? Um, I ran outside and it was raining and everyone's like, Oh, you're going to have to run home. But I chose to walk home mm. and look up and just feel the rain on my face. And I thought, you know what? I bet all Sherry wanted was more time with her kids here. Yeah. I'm just going to soak up this moment in the rain in honor of Sherry to feel, I don't know, I just wanted to like live in the moment of like, instead of running home in the rain, just like get soaked. Yeah. Let the rain just fall on your face. Let it feel what you feel. Yeah. And I went home and I was drenched and I thought, I feel so refreshed. I feel so like free. I don't know. I think it's beautiful. I, I know we, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, Renoir, one of my favorite painters, yeah. uh, said this quote that, 
the pain passes, but the beauty remains. Now, I'd love to get your perspective on that. We struggle with pain uh, at different moments of life. Yeah. How would you take that quote? And if you, if it resonates with you, yeah. how? Pain is uncomfortable and being uncomfortable scares people. Safety um, and being comfortable is what people want. And when I talk to youth groups, when I talk to adults and I teach them about getting outside of our comfort zones and experiencing a little bit of pain or doing something that scares us, um, it's okay to want to be comfortable. That's yeah. where we refuel. That's where we um, well, binge watch those shows, watch the comfort foods, be around people who make us feel comfortable. But outside that comfort zone is pain. And outside that comfort zone is scary things. And I think letting yourself sit and being uncomfortable, not being scared of pain or so let's unpack that for just a second because yeah. we talk about pain yeah and uh uncomfortable and i think that far too often we don't really use a nuanced language relative to what we're experiencing in life right. you know something's good or bad i think that far too often we're using binaries mm. pain are we really experiencing pain or are we just feeling maybe a little bit embarrassed i truly maybe. believe that in order, I think of pain as a gift through what I've been through individually. Um, you know, I've, I've checked myself into a hospital. I've gone to treatment. I've mm -hmm. done, you know, I've, I've gone through some hardships, you know, not knowing if my marriage was going to last, having to unpack some, you know, just some really heavy things. Um, that was painful. Yeah. But there was so much beauty in that. And now I think of it as a gift. And because when we're given these, I think of pain as even an opportunity. We, I truly believe that God doesn't give us anything that he knows we can't handle or overcome. Right. right. So when you get through that pain and that beauty that I've experienced on the other side of that uncomfortable or painful experience has helped me develop more into a person that I know I'm supposed to become. And so, so pain helps that. me reach my full potential. I love that. I, I was listening to a psychologist, uh, I think it was yesterday on another podcast, talk about how people who have been through uh, difficulty, who have felt their pain, who have experienced things like you've just discussed, that they they have a reverence for it. They have an honor mm. for that pain yeah. because they realize what it is and they something in the eyes changes, yeah. something in the heart shifts True. and something in the overall mentality and the countenance is different because they've been through it and they see it now with a different perspective. Someone might ask why, how do you sit in pain? Someone might ask, how do I embrace pain? Yeah. And so often when we feel the pain, we run, people suppress, they do certain things that help, you know, they are, do maladaptive behaviors um, they self-destruct a little bit, or they do things that make them feel comfortable and they they're run looking for the immediate yeah. release of the pain. So how right. I would tell someone, if they're asking, well, how do I sit in pain? I don't even know where to begin. I would simply turn to whatever higher power you believe, Yeah. turn to yourself and ask, why am I, why have I been given this pain? How do I get through this? Please show me, please help me and show me the purpose of 
who it's making me become. Mm -hmm. Just give me, give me some guidance. And I think that if you just, and then you just simply go, what's the next right step? Okay. I need to just get out of bed. Yeah. Oh, the next right step. You know, I think I just need to shower. Let me brush my teeth. Let me take care of myself. You don't need to think what it, what actually is or who I'm going to become. Just think of the next right step. Maybe the next right step is to apologize to somebody. Maybe the next right step is to whatever that looks like. It can be as simple as I said, getting out of bed. It could be, I need to, I don't know. But it's not about how do I solve my, all of my life's problems and create moment. the perfect routine for no, the perfect no, life moving no. forward. It's just what's the next right step. Yeah. There's a lot of power to this, uh, to the concept of uh, prayer, obviously, but also getting out of your own head and and asking that question. You know, um, how what what is next? Uh, we forget that there is so much out there in the world that we can access that when we tap into that deeper part of ourselves and we tap into the the ethereal and the spiritual parts that we can get answers right then in the moment mm -hmm. of what that next step is you may be not able to see what the next 10 steps are but you can get the next step yeah. and that's a beautiful thing because I, I'm a big believer. I, and I've had bouts of depression from time to time. And I'm super grateful for that. Because when I think about what is depression, what does that feel like? What's well, it that depressed state that makes me pause? It makes me think it slows things down. It makes me process things in a different way. And I'm extremely grateful for it. You mentioned earlier about being grateful for the pain yeah. that you uh, that you had, uh, experienced. I think back to uh, when I was young, um, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, that one of the biggest challenges that I had was I had a grandfather who was very uh, verbally and physically uh, abusive. And if you talk the psychotherapy talk, they'll say, well, Steve, you're an extremely observant individual. That's a trauma response from that experience maybe but maybe i was an observant individual before and i became more heightened to it because of that and if that's the case i'm actually really grateful for it but the other thing that going through that as a young child taught me was humor it taught me and gave me my sarcastic yep. humor deflecting with humor i yeah. can relate to that well and and deflecting i think is one piece but also just the ability to look at something and see how silly it really is. Right. Because I think back to some of the stuff that came out of his mouth and I think, oh, that is the most unintelligent thing that could come Asked out of I, a mouth. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? And so it's given me a perspective in life that I don't think I would have had before. I can step back and look at when people are losing their minds about a million and one things and say, yeah, none of this really matters. Like that's, that's it. yeah, uh, it's, we, we just probably need to take a deep breath. Yeah. Let's, let's look at it from a different <laughs> perspective. One day, McKenna, I had a uh, uh, coaching client that I was talking to. And as we talked, all of a sudden, something about her, as I looked at her on the Zoom call, shifted. Her mind uh, moved, her facial expression changed. And I said, What happened? And she kind of explained to me what was going on internally with her. And 
we laughed and joked a little bit because it was almost like a chiropractic adjustment for the soul is the way that she described it. Wow. It was a shift. There was a perspective that caused her to just feel different in life in that particular moment. And as we've talked since then, that was an adjustment that hasn't needed to be adjusted again. When is a time where you had something just hit you and it created that chiropractic adjustment for the soul? Wow. That's a really powerful question. Oh, I feel like I've had a lot. Chiropractic adjustment for the soul. Mm. I will say that to go back to the moment in the car when, and to be more specific of the scenario, I had had a mental breakdown at the house. I had left. I just grabbed a few things and I had gotten in my car and I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing, but I didn't ever, I was running away and I was driving myself to the behavior hospital. And that's a whole other story. But I remember in that moment asking myself, why am I here? Why did I choose to come here? And I, and I briefed on this before, but that shift, it was almost like a blanket was lifted off of my eyes. Just like you're missing the whole point, McKenna. You're missing the whole point. There is so much beauty around you that you're missing. With and I, and this, the five senses, I really always go back to that when I'm snuggling my son and I can just move my face on his hair, you know, and I just look and I can hear the laughter. Or, you know, my daughter lost a tooth this morning as we were rushing out the door to school. But we took a moment and paused and just celebrated her. And she was so brave. And it was this beautiful moment of, wow, you know what? As a matter of fact, that is the cutest time of a child's life is when they lose their front teeth. It's amazing. And I'm rambling because it really was this pivotal shift that really wasn't this. It was a big moment in my life that brought me back to the small moments that I'm missing that are so beautiful and the beauty in life that I've been missing because I've been searching for happiness in all the wrong areas. I was trying to find friends. I was everywhere but home. I was trying to take up new hobbies. I was doing everything I should be doing. Those freaking shoulds, right? Stop shitting all over yourself. Shooting on yourself. And, And it wasn't working. And I realized in that moment that happiness is not outside of me. It's inside of me. And that was my big adjustment for my soul that really helped me say let's let's get back to let's let's get back to the basics and let's get you better let's go on this journey and i would say since then i've had many more but i think that that was the biggest one that put me on the path i am on today i love that story it's a beautiful story and it 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 shows something that i think is lost in our society by and large today you keep coming back to this question of why did I choose to come here? Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack there that I think people could miss. And I want to make sure that I pull something out that okay. I, I would love for us to discuss. Okay. Um, we don't live in a highly accountable society anymore. Mm-hmm. We are victimized in so many ways uh, in our own minds, right? We are triggered, offended, you name it. Like that is all over the place. And yet the reality of it is we are all accountable. We can all account for 
we can all take responsibility for what's going on in our life. Now, we might not have caused it, right? We may be in a situation where maybe, yes, we have been victimized. And so it's we're not diminishing, diminishing somebody who has been a victim of something. But one thing that I hear when I hear you say, I chose to come here. Why did I choose to come here? Part of the power to me in that statement, in that question, is that you are acknowledging your accountability to make that choice. And I don't think we take full accountability for where we're at in life. And so there's a few things that are both admirable, but I want to get your thoughts on. First is stepping back and asking the question and doing it from a sense of accountability rather than victimhood. But then also saying, hey, I need to get some help. I'm not really in the mental state, the emotional state that I want to be in. Right. And I want something different. And so then taking accountability to say it's up to me to get the help and to go fix that. Yeah. I think those two pieces are just beautiful in and of themselves. So let me just say that first. Where does that come from inside of you? Oh, gosh, you ask good questions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank it you. takes a lot to stump me. Um, and I don't feel stumped. I'm just, it's just a good perspective, that a perspective I haven't looked at that in that way. I think what it comes in me is I just feel like I have just had this innate, and I, and I think it just comes from my desire to have a relationship with God. And interesting. And I do think that the way we were raised does come into play. We tend to fall back on what we, what we were taught. For sure. And I definitely was taught that we came, we lived before we came. And I do believe that that was something that I've held true to my heart, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever faith adventure that I've been on. And I think that I've had um, some spiritual experiences that I can't deny that there's not a life after this, and experiences that. Um, that I've, I've lived before and I'm going to live after. And I think I've just felt in my heart and I, and I feel that it's hard to articulate that I've just felt like it's true that before we came to earth, he's, I felt like I had sitting down, sat down with my heavenly father and he just said, listen, it's going to, these are what, this is what you're going to go through. These are going to be your blessings. This is, you know, and I think it's a general map you know, cause we have agency, right, right? But that there are defining moments that are going to happen. And I looked at them and I, and I knew with all the knowledge that with the tools he was giving me that I could get through it. Mm. And I knew that I was a strong person. And so I just kind of went back to the basics of like the foundational beliefs I was taught, what I held true to myself. And I think that that's where it came from. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's a beautiful perspective. Um, I, I think it's a difficult thing to take full accountability and responsibility for life. I think that's not something that uh, we see in today's day and age. I think far too many people want to blame somebody else for where they're at, yeah. for the difficulty, or they want to, uh, let, let's say, offload or just kind of... Um, send it over to another country to fix this, right? Right. Let me, uh, let me delegate this to, uh, uh, to somebody in another country. I don't want to do this part of my job. So someone else fix it. Right. 
Um, it reminds me a little bit of what you said before we started recording. Uh, we were talking about this concept of breaking. Yes. And I've said for years that I believe we all have breaking points. We have a breakdown. We have a breakthrough. Sometimes the breakdown leads to a breakthrough. And sometimes we have a choice as to whether or not we can go into a breakdown or a breakthrough moment. But you brought a perspective I've never thought of before. And I would love for our listeners to hear that. Talk about what breaking means to you. Breaking to me is breaking open. Um, and feel free to fill in if if I said something that I missed or I, I missed something that I had said. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe that we talk about a broken heart as something that's sad or devastating. And it is hard. And it's, and it's not, again, pain. It's uncomfortable. But when we let and acknowledge that our heart's being broke open, that's how the light gets in. Mm-hmm. That's how the sunshine comes into where the seed was planted into the soil and how the flowers are going to bloom. I believe that, you know, that analogy that so often is talked about so much in our society. And if you haven't, it's when glass breaks, it can be put so beautifully back together with the gold. Iggy Kai. Iggy Kai. Thank you. And that's how I think about breaking is I'm just breaking open. I'm allowing my heart to open to let the light in. And it's through that breaking open of the pain and allowing, like coming full circle to what we were talking about is breaking open and allowing the pain not running from it, but sitting in it and asking what's the next right step is allowing that flower to bloom flowers, a bouquet that's going to shine and help you become into who you're meant to be. And that's allowing your heart to break open. I think it's beautiful. Uh, Many things that you're talking about right now, um, as I said before, having studied multiple religions, it's really fascinating to see where the threads are. Right. Mm. Uh, on, I can't remember the number of the episode, but we had a, uh, uh, Buddhist, uh, monk pastor. I can't remember what he, what he, Buddhism. I do too. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've always been fascinated with Buddhism. And so, um, we had, uh, um, uh, Christopher Liebel on, uh, Kakyao Liebel is the name, his Buddhist name that they gave him. And one of the things that I've been fascinated about with the congregation that he leads is, that their their whole premise is to just come as you are. Just show up as you are. There's no judgment. There's no need to feel like you have to be something else. Just come as you are. And there's a lot to unpack with that statement. And we talked a, uh, quite a quite length um, in that episode about that. Part of what you're referencing, though, is just to be there in the moment, right? To be present in the moment to understand that when certain things break, now the light can come through. When you're sitting with a broken heart, the light can come through and create the growth that we're that yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, be there right there. Be there right now. But come as you are. I want to get your thoughts. For people who are listening to this in a place outside of Utah. They won't understand this. For our Utah listeners, they'll get it. Right. Um, but we have listeners all over the world. And so many people, I, I have to set this up the right way. In Utah, and especially in our part of Utah, uh, there is this perspective and there is this almost expectation that we need to show 
that our life is great, mm -hmm. that we need to oh, show yeah. that our life is perfect, yep. that we have the perfect kids, <laughs> the perfect life, yep. that the hair and the makeup is always done, that the yep. nothing is ever wrong, and we're all blissfully running around with all of these gorgeous smiling kids and nothing ever bad happens, right? I'm laughing because yes. Yeah, you get it. And yes. there will be some people who hear that and they're like, come on, Steve, it's Utah. What are you talking about? People and they, get because it they've never, yeah. yeah. but those that are here get it. Um, It's very deeply embedded in the culture. And I, I think especially where we live in this Southern end of the Salt Lake Valley going into where uh -huh. we live in yeah. the Provo area. Um, how do you, having consistently shown up in public spaces, right? Your uh, social media, very public space, standing on platforms and giving speeches, very public space. How do you reconcile having to stand in, in public spaces and give a great message with showing a certain sense of reality of what's going on? Right. And then where do you draw the line to say, hey, some of these things are just private and I'm not going to talk about them? That's a great question because I do fall into every stereotypical category that Utah County has to offer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's finding humor and leaning into the humorous side of all of that. Um, I just kind of fall into it. You know, I grown you up. You just introduced the elephant in the room. I introduced, I induced, I introduced the elephant in the room. Always. I'm a pageant girl. Um, I enjoy getting ready and I enjoy, that's just, it is embedded in me. You, you want a competition at one point, right? Yeah. I was, this is Utah at one point. Okay. But I'm, I've yet retired. I am still heavily involved in the pageant world. I just emceed Miss Utah last weekend. Okay. Um, it's actually quite inspiring to see all these young women doing amazing things in the, in the, in our culture, in our society. However, I think that it's very important. And I think that that's why I've found such a strong connection to people as I share my story is like, you know, my husband's retired from summer cells, right? Mm. That's a huge stereotypical category. Um, and, you know, I grew up doing pageants on the outside life looked perfect. Mm -hmm. We had that perfectionism, perfection, outward look into our life. And when I spoke about my vulnerability and the struggles that I was having mentally, it really drew a lot of people to me saying, I never thought you struggled. I never thought that you were the one mm. that had X, Y, Z going on. Mm -hmm. And I actually felt that I battle that with, um, a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of diverting with humor, um, but also just being vulnerable about how I'm feeling, mm -hmm. about what's going on, being honest and true with how I feel on the inside to know that it's okay if you want to, like I try to take, teach my girls, makeup's fun, but know that true beauty is on the inside. True beauty is how you treat people. Yeah. And yeah. true beauty is your brain. So I think that I battle that by just owning who I am, owning my story and just being completely vulnerable with who I am. And I think that vulnerability creates connection and it breaks down those walls that people are building of this. I have to look perfect to say, mm, I do struggle a lot actually. And I think that that creates connection. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think there's just finding your own voice with that. I know like uh, before we started recording, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, right. People who sit in, uh, spaces that I play in the podcasting space or, uh, the coaching space, I, I, I have to laugh because I can never be the, uh, beard down to my, uh, you know, my chest, uh, 
tear my shirt off, go run around and tell everybody that I'm eating liver and we're going to go <laughs> hunt with our bare hands type of type of guy. It's just not me. Right. Um, I, so my, my style is different, but I don't know that I'm growing as right. quickly uh, in certain spaces because I'm not as controversial and I I'm okay with that. Right. Because the authenticity I think has to be there. But that perfectionism is what everyone puts themselves. That's putting yourself in the box and protecting yourself. Right. right. That's you protecting yourself because you're scared to embrace the pain and you're scared to embrace yourself, honestly, to look yourself in the mirror and actually say, who am I? And why am I trying to behave a certain way? Who am I trying to please and why? Yeah. And to be comfortable with that, yeah. whatever your preferences are. Yeah. I enjoy getting ready, but do I run around in sweats and you know, and just saying that it's okay to do both, yeah. but ask yourself why and to make sure you are being truly authentic. And I, I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but I have found a groove that I, I find that is working for me. That's great. Yeah. I, people will give me a hard time uh, from time to time because I love to dress up. I love to wear suits. When we would go to the symphony, I would yeah. love to throw on my tuxedo. Uh, I had one guy when he was a former employee, he hired me to come and speak to his organization one day. And they said, well, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what do you guys typically wear to work? What's, what would be the dress code for me coming and speaking? And his answer to me was, uh, we dress like this, but I'm sure you're going to go like 10 notches up because you always overdress. <laughs> and I had to laugh. It tinged a little bit in the moment. And I was like, oh, am I doing something wrong? And then I no. paused and thought, no, no, I, this is just actually what I genuinely enjoy. Yeah. I dress that way because I want to. Absolutely. And today when I woke up, I thought, you know what? Today feels like a cowboy boot day. And I love it. And so I threw my cowboy boots on and a brown belt and I uh, kept it super simple Good. because I didn't, I didn't want to dress up. I'm just wearing my cowboy boots and that's authentic to me today. today. Yeah. You know, there's a, so I have a, there's a quote that I, absolutely love. And I love it so much. I had it tattooed on me. Ooh. It reads, a man cannot remake himself without suffering for he is both the marble and the sculptor. Personal evolution can sometimes be difficult and painful. My question to you is, how do you show yourself compassion on your path of evolution? I actually think compassion and grace kind of go hand in hand. I love the word grace because grace allows us to be imperfect, to love ourselves through our imperfections. And I think grace is such a powerful truth if we truly embrace it, that grace is I'm doing my best and my best is good enough. Yeah. And that I truly think that that's how it's helped me figure out how I'm evolving and I'm ever evolving. And we're all constantly progressing and to allow yourself grace that you might look back at who you are today and who you were 10 years ago and beat yourself up for who you were 10 years ago. But you, that's not fair. That's not fair to judge yourself 10 years ago because you need to allow yourself grace and honor the journey and honor the progress because you're, you don't know or have an experience what you've back then that you know today. Mm -hmm. So I think allowing grace to yourself for today and who you were yesterday and who you're going to be next week. Every a day you're one day away from anything. You, it, life could change on a dime. And I think that it's 
when you're figuring out who you are and you're allowing yourself to constantly evolve and that's allowing yourself different perspectives that's searching for truth that's you know sitting in the pain looking for the heart to break open and allowing it to stay open and, and allowing yourself grace in that moment um and to know and grace acknowledges that you're not perfect and that's the purpose of life is to embrace our imperfections and strive to be better I love that. I'm sure I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. On a scale of one to 10, where would you rate this? You know, zero being, I hate it. 10 being, you absolutely love it. But there's a quote of that comparison is the thief of joy. What's your rating? 10. And why? Okay, we could, I love these conversations. 10 and, oh, maybe I can give two answers. It depends on what you're comparing. Because if you're comparing yourself to think of how can I be better, um, that's a different perspective. If you're coming in and comparing your life to someone else's life and wishing you had more, then yeah, it's, it's, you're limiting yourself and you're letting joy, you're letting it steal your joy. One is productive, one is non-productive. I believe yeah. one is your perspective and point of view that you're taking at is yeah. is everything. Good point. If you're comparing your life to somebody else's and you wish you had a different life, that's or that's not healthy. If you're comparing yourself to who you were yesterday and saying, How can I be better? That's increasing your joy. That's allowing yourself grace in the process to say, I'm not perfect. How can I be better? comparing situations of how you've handled certain things or comparing maybe how one person's acting to how other someone else is acting. That's a comparison to say, how would I handle things differently? How would I do something? Um, increases our joy. So it's all about perspective of the approach you're taking, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. I've actually never heard anybody put it like that, but I would agree with you a thousand percent. A couple of final questions. Um, you know, the, we all deal with our internal battles and they sometimes get a little bit better and then sometimes get a lot worse. What do you do on a weekly basis to nurture your mental and emotional health? Something that I do to nurture my mental and physical health is, I know I've talked a lot about this, but it is prayer. I do rely a lot on my, on prayer with my heavenly father in Christ. Um, it's talking openly with my husband on where I'm at. So the way I nurture that is, Hey, today I'm feeling a little off. Can you please help me a little bit? Like we have our general roles during the day. He takes more of the evening. I take more of the morning, but communicating and being honest with where I'm at, um, I think is important. I also, uh, I like to take some daily assessments. I do notice when I start to fall into a funk, I start to, to self-destruct a little bit and do maladaptive behaviors. I tend to go to bed before I wash my face. Mm. I tend to sleep in through my alarm and not work out. I tend to, um, I do find that getting ready and showering does help my mental health. And if I'm not doing those things, um, I, I'm falling into a funk. And so I have to be a little bit more deliberate. So being real enough with myself that am I, why? Okay. So I need, I don't want to wake up and work out, but I'm going to deliberately get up 
and move my body because I know it will help me. And being aware of those deliberate moments and honoring how I'm feeling. And I did notice that I was slipping into a little bit more of a funk as of recent. I think it's the weather. Yeah. I think it's not great weather, right? Seasonal depression yeah. is real. Oh, it is. Yeah. And to wake up and deliberately get up, move my body, get up, wash my face, brush your teeth, take a shower. And those are things that I find if I'm not naturally doing, I need to be honest with myself and to nurture my mental health by saying, get back into that rhythm, mm. find that routine and schedule and stick to it. And taking time for myself um, in my life, I'm a, a full-time student, you know, I'm a mom. I letting and allowing myself time to take a bath, mm. just little things like that, that I find really help nurture my mental health. It's amazing how sometimes just the small physical hygiene things are it's the true. same hygienic practices that we need for our mental and emotional health, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's all encompassing, yeah. right? We don't think about it like that. Uh, McKenna, final question. So, you know, today's my uh, second daughter's 20th birthday. Good. And I often think about with my three kids, um, what type of a legacy can I leave them when I'm dead? What will they remember? What will they live? What is the, um, what is my, my legacy, my gift to them when all my possessions are sold off, or maybe they have a few of them. What is it that I will be leaving behind? So my question to you is if, or not, yeah, we're all going to die when we die. Um, hopefully the, if is a long time from now, right? Right. What is the legacy that you want to leave for your kids? You know, I think, I hope that this would be a legacy that I would, I hope to instill in my children is a simple quote by Cinderella. <laughs> there we go. This is a first on the podcast. Yeah. Quoting Cinderella. Um, Have courage and be kind. Love that. It takes courage to ask for help. It takes courage to be who, true to who you are. It takes courage to take risks to um, explore. It takes courage to get outside that box. It takes courage to open your heart to pain. It takes courage to um, reach your full potential and take those steps because it can be scary. And be kind. And I and that's something I strive to do. I'm. I would say I'm more of a. Um, I can, I've had, I kind of have like a abrupt personality at times. And over the years, I, I've wanted to create more of a kind of, um, kinder approach. Mm. And I've, and I've owned a lot. And that's again, comparing my past self to my current self and allowing myself grace that I'm currently working on. Um, however, to let them know that they are no better than the person next to them and the person next to them is no better than them. And to know that there's no earthly possession on this earth that makes anyone better than you. And that you do not need to act that you're better than anyone else and or think that anyone is better than you. So have courage to talk to individuals. You know, I will say that it's just innately part of me to know that like nothing anyone is or has makes me feel intimidated. It takes a lot to intimidate me because I just think of people as human beings. Yeah. So in a long drawn out question. I think courage can cover a lot of bases and to come from a kind approach, even when people are mean to you, 
coming from a kind approach goes compassionate approaches. Why are they being mean? Where are they at in their life that is making them behave this way? Can really um, create a, a force field around somebody um, and around your life that you're creating that other people's actions can't penetrate that wall of protection through love and kindness and compassion. It's an interesting perspective. I, I would agree. I, it's psychological studies have shown that people who are negative and people who use anger on a regular basis, um, it requires almost no energy whatsoever to go. It's the path of least resistance. Mm. It is not courageous. Um, and in fact, it's extremely infectious. But the courageous thing is to pause because when we pause, we then can hold empathy. When we pause, we can have a perspective of being compassionate. When we pause, we can see things in a much more broad, general perspective rather than taking a binary of that person's better than me right. or I'm better than them. So what a beautiful answer. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, McKenna, thanks so much for coming on today. Um, I've, I've got to put a plug out there. Your website has so many amazing resources. Um, I had a great opportunity to go through and download some of the PDFs and read through them, read through much of your story. Uh, we got through a few of my questions today, maybe a third of them, not, maybe not even that much, maybe a quarter of them. Um, and so if anybody wants to read more, learn more, if they have are not following you on social media, tell them where to go. Awesome. On Instagram and TikTok, it's just McKenna Rose Brown, M-C-K-E-N-N-A, McKenna Rose Brown. My website's McKennaRoseBrown.com. It's just the same as my Instagram. We're currently updating my website to create additional resources and provide more information. Um, and my Instagram is just a free, you know, platform where I just deflect with humor and try to be informative. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and I would recommend to our listeners that uh, you've heard us talk about journaling, the power of journaling. We didn't yes. get too much into it today. So we're going to have to have you come back because <laughs> there's more that we've got to go on. But we got to make a deal that the next time it's got to be somewhere like brighter and, and warmer than what yes. we're dealing with today, right? Sunshine. So yeah, we'll all go hop on a plane and let's, go sit in Hawaii and do a podcast there. Always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks again for, for coming on. I'm excited for our listeners to get this chance to get to know you a little bit more and to uh, learn more about the amazing work that you do, what your story is. And I think as they go through and learn more about your story, what we talked about today is going to be even more impactful. So well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to have this conversation. It definitely went places I didn't even expect it to go, but I know they were meant to go there. So. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. It is time for us to wrap up another episode of The Evolved Man. We're grateful for McKenna to join us today, taking the time in this cold weather uh, to drive <laughs> to the studio and get some face time with us. Remember that it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thanks for joining me today for this episode of The Evolved Man. If you're learning from and gaining value from this podcast, please subscribe to the Evolved Man newsletter where I can support you even more in your personal evolution. I want to help you reverse engineer your success. The Evolved Man newsletter is like getting a free coaching session to keep you moving forward on your path of personal success. Go to the evolvedmanpodcast.com to sign up today.
If you found value in this episode, you can give us up to a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share it with your network. That's the best way to support the podcast so we can continue to get great guests and provide you with the best wisdom for your daily life. Until next time, keep evolving.